Welcome to Dinosaur George Kids. A show for anyone who loves dinosaurs. Dinosaur George has studied paleontology for over 50 years and has performed live to over 4 million students across the world. So sit back and enjoy today's show. Now, here's Dinosaur George. Future paleontologist. Have you missed me? Because I have sure missed you. Oh my gosh, you can't even begin to imagine how crazy busy it's been for me. I have been traveling pretty much nonstop with my traveling museum. And it it just honestly, I haven't even had I haven't had anything close to a day off in, in months. It's just Absolutely crazy. And the problem is that because it's a traveling museum, we're traveling all over. I can't travel with my sound equipment to record podcasts. I mean, I could record them, but the quality would be terrible. So I'm unable to I'm unable to uh, get in to the studio, unfortunately, to be able to record. And so I just haven't had a chance to do them. But so much has been going on. I've been dealing with so many different things. Um, I'm expanding my museum in San Antonio. That thing has has really uh, keeping me busy. I'm getting in a bunch of new um, a bunch of new skulls to display, and I'm telling you, they are they're just so cool. I, I'm not going to tell you everything that's coming, but I am going to say this. When I get finished setting up this exhibit, I'm going to have four of the biggest carnivore skulls, or four of the biggest carnivores, the skulls of four of the biggest carnivores that ever lived. You're going, you know, you, you have to travel all every, everywhere to be able to see as many as I'm going to have in my little museum. It's going to be a carnivore fest. But carnivores aren't everything I've got. I've got uh, some ceratopsian skulls coming in. I'm even working on possibly trying to get a complete skeleton. Not going to tell you what it is yet, but I'm going to try to bring in a complete skeleton if, if it if it will allow. But so much depends, of course, on on um, space and all the other things. I mean, as I've been planning this thing out, it's going to be it's going to be a tight fit. Anyway, if any of you ever come to San Antonio, Texas on a weekend, uh, you come out and see me at Trader's Village. That's where my museum is. I suspect by the end of May we'll be complete. So it'll be just in time for the summer months. So anyway, I hope you I hope you decide to drop in if you ever come by. All right. A uh, couple of things to cover. I- I'm so excited. We have now had. 305,000 listens to this podcast, 300, over 300,000 listens to this podcast. That's very exciting for me. And we're in 140 countries and we're heard in 8,916 cities throughout the world. So 140 different countries. We have listeners in 140 different countries. That's just amazing. So Thank you all so much for that milestone, 300,000, uh, 305,000. I was stunned when we had our first thousand listens. I was excited. Now we're at 305,000. And it's because of you and because of you sharing with your family and friends. And it's also because of your parents who are willing to recommend this show to other families because it is a family-friendly show. I'm very proud of that. And I appreciate very much that uh, all of you out there doing it. So many shout outs to go through. So many of you that I've met and seen. So let's just go down the list. First, Sebastian. Now, Sebastian, I got a chance to meet him and his mom and dad. They were from California. They were on vacation in San Antonio and they made it a point to stop by and uh, say hi to me at my at, I happened to be out at the museum, which I was so glad to because I certainly enjoyed meeting Sebastian and his family. 
Sebastian, who loves Dimorphodon, and it suggested I do a podcast on Dimorphodon, and I certainly will, Sebastian. I, I have any, every intention of doing that. So shout out to Sebastian and his family. I hope you enjoyed your visit to San Antonio, and I hope you enjoyed the rest of your vacation. Then I got a chance to do a lesson, a private lesson for my buddy Jameson, who's a uh, T-Rex member of the Patreon Club. Jameson did it for his birthday, but he did it for his entire school. So thank you, Weber PTA, for bringing us in there uh, and doing that. That was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. I wish I had more time. I could have spent all day talking to you guys. It was so neat to be able to uh, to see you again, Jameson, in that setting. I always see you at the Patreon Club meetings, but that was really cool to see you and your classmates. I hope they enjoyed it, because I certainly did. And then uh, um, uh, Brazos. I did. I got a chance to speak in Brazos's school. Now, Brazos lives up near College Station in Texas, and he was so nice. His parents are so nice. For, for letting me do that. I did a private lesson for Brazos, but he did it for all of his classmates. So I hope all of you enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed, I certainly enjoyed uh, seeing all of you. Thank you, Brazos, for doing that. Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Dad. And thank you to the school for scheduling. That, that was very kind. And then I did a private lesson for Rayhan. Now, this was great. We talked about raptors. Oh, Rayhan, you're such an intelligent kid. You're so smart. I had so much fun. I don't know why you hired me to do a lesson. You should have taught me a lesson. I could, I would have paid you to do it for me. Okay, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. But hey, just saying. <laughs> so anyway, Rayon, I had such a great time teaching you about Raptors and interacting with you and answering all of your really cool questions. I enjoyed that very much. And then Claire, who for her eighth birthday, and she was with her brother Michael and mom and dad, Claire's birthday gift uh, was... A, from her parents, I guess, or maybe she paid for it herself, but she had a private lesson. And Claire, I wanted to say I, I had to change the date for Claire because my truck had a problem and I was in, I was unable to get back to the studio in time. So she was so kind and the family was so nice to let me change the date. Claire, you know so much about dinosaurs. And yes, I told you I was going to do Sauropelta, but for this lesson, I'm not going to do Sauropelta. I'm not going to do any a feature creature because I'm only going to answer questions because so many of them are backed up. But I just wanted to say, uh, hey, to you, Claire, and to your brother, Michael, and to your family, I hope you guys enjoyed the lesson. I certainly did myself. And then when I was at Taylor Elementary in Texas, I met Anya and Avon, who uh, were there and they came up, told me they were listeners. Shout out to you too. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And speaking of that, I met Santiago when I was in Carroll Elementary in Frisco, Texas. Santiago loves, loves baryonics, by the way. It was a pleasure meeting you, Santiago. I enjoyed being at your school, and I'm sorry this shout-out took so long to get to you. And then, out at Trader's Village, uh, weeks and weeks and weeks ago, I met Ezra and Elijah. Uh, they're from Maydell, Texas. And I got to meet they and, they're and the, the boys and, the, and their parents, uh, and they were there to stop by the museum. I'm so glad I was there to see you guys. I'm glad I got to meet you. I hope you enjoyed that because I certainly enjoyed seeing both of you. And then finally, uh, I met Chloe from Schluter Elementary while I was visiting there. And Chloe happened to be a, a listener to the podcast, and I promised her I would give her a shout out. So there you go to all of you. There is your shout outs. There's so many schools I went to. I wish I could give every one of them a shout out, but oh my gosh, I've been to so many, I can't even keep track of them. So as I mentioned, I'm not going to do a feature creature for this particular podcast. I'm going to do just questions and answers, and then I'm going to do some who would wins. And, and again, I apologize, but it's because I had just a little bit of time. I didn't have time to do any of my research, to put any of my stuff together uh, and so I just had to, I had to jump in and just answer messages. And I'm going to do that right off of my, uh, right off of my computer. So let's go. This first one comes from Yasmina, who was, now these are all coming from members of the Patreon club. Hi, DG. This is Rayano Rex. What a great name. His mom is writing on his behalf. We've been enjoying your podcast for almost 10 months now and still loving it. I'm so glad you guys do. I'm very glad to hear that. So Rayano Rex had a question. Which dinosaur was first discovered and named, described where and when? Oh, 
What a good question. Okay. Now, because I didn't get a chance to look through any of my notes, I can tell you that it was uh, Megalosaurus. He was discovered in Europe, I think in, in, I believe in England. I'm almost certain it was in England. I don't remember uh, when it was named or described. I just don't know those answers. But Megalosaurus is one of the dinosaurs I definitely need to do. Uh, I definitely need to uh, uh, do a podcast on that because it's a very important dinosaur. It's one of the first dinosaurs ever discovered and absolutely a very important specimen to science. So I need to do that. Okay. Uh, uh, Hello, this is Joshua. Well, Joshua's mom. Joshua is a huge fan. Wants to know who would win. Dinosaur George versus 100 Velociraptors versus 100 T-Rex versus 100 Godzillas. How can I possibly compete with that? Okay, right off the bat, 100 Godzillas are just going to step on me. So what I'd have to do is I'd hate for the Godzillas to step on all the T-Rexes and the T-Rexes to step on all the Velociraptors and then all the Godzillas to eat every each other and there would be only one left. I still wouldn't win, but it would be fun. <laughs> all right, here we go. Um, this is from Boceratops. I have a question. Which one was bigger? Hatsugoopteryx or Quetzalcoatlus? Thank you, little Georgie Pants. I'm not a little Georgie Pants! Okay, that's a, this is also a good question. I believe, I believe Hatsigoopteryx was shorter than Quetzalcoatlus. I believe. Now, I don't know the wingspan, but I do believe as far as when it's sitting on the ground, it's a little bit shorter than Quetzalcoatlus. I'm almost sure. Boy, I don't know. I wish I did, though, but that's a great question. All right, this is from Xavier. Did T-Rex and Spinosaurus live at the same time? And if they did, would they have fought one another? No, they didn't live at the same time, Xavier. T-Rex was late Cretaceous. Spinosaurus was several million years earlier than that. And uh, Spinosaurus lived in Africa and Egypt, and T-Rex lived in North America. But uh, Spinosaurus definitely lived with Carcharodontosaurus, who was a rival in size to Tyrannosaurus rex. So there definitely was a giant living with Spinosaurus. And would they fight with each other? Yeah, absolutely they would have when it was necessary and that's usually over food you you during tough times especially big carnivores have to accumulate together into the same area where they sometimes might not have gone but they had to go in and they had to fight for food and that would be a time so if spinosaurus and t-rex lived together it would be the same thing they absolutely would they would fight but they probably wouldn't want to they probably wouldn't want to. Okay, this is from Noah Raptor. Hi, El Stinko. What, what did you just call me? No one knows the identity of El Stinko. Stronger than Superman. Smarter than Batman. El Stinko is the greatest superhero that ever lived. But it's not me. It's someone else. <laughs> Noah Raptor, age six, says... Uh, I'm so, so excited to be a part of the club. Glad that you are, uh, Noah Raptor. I'm glad you're part of our club. I go to all the live lessons and love it all. Can you do a podcast about plesiosaurs and pliosaurs? Yeah, good qu- good suggestion. Mosasaurus is my favorite ocean reptile, but I'm interested in plesiosaurs and pliosaurs now, too. I want to know all about that. Did they stick together underwater? Did they sleep? Who would win between the three? What What great questions. I believe mosasaurs, plesiosaurs, and pliosaurs are all probably loners. And I say that because we don't often find their bones together in the same place from the same time. So, of course, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that can prove that they weren't living together. But I don't know if they would have. Maybe out of the three, plesiosaurs may have been more likely to go together because they could actually herd fish into an area. Have you ever seen when sharks do that or tuna or other predators do that? They chase the prey into one area and they keep them there and, and then they swoop in to grab them. Plesiosaurs might have done something like that. I don't, I don't think pliosaurs and mosasaurs did because they are not, I don't think they were as agile. Now that I think about it, you know, I've never considered this before. What if plesiosaurs use their neck? as a way to sort of round things up, kind of drive fish into a smaller area. What if that long neck was used to kind of herd the fish into a general area? You have a big school. You know, I've never considered that in my life until right now. 
What if the long neck plesiosaurs are using that long neck as a way to drive fish into an area to hurt them together, and then their bodies would circle them and their necks would zip in and out of the bait ball, that's what we call when they're all together, and snatching fish out of it. Wow. Well, if any of these strings did it, my guess would be it would be the plesiosaurs. Pliosaurs, I don't think they're really made for working as a group, and mosasaurs either. I think they're much bigger. Uh, it certainly don't have the bodies to be that agile. And so they're probably not hunting together. They're probably loners, sort of like what you'd see with the great white shark or tiger sharks. They're, they're probably loners more than together in a group, in my opinion. Um, did they sleep? Yes, absolutely. They slept because they're not like sharks where they have to have water flowing over their gills in most cases. So they don't have to keep moving. They probably went up to the surface and probably slept, but not like you and I would sleep. Their sleep might be five minutes here, three minutes there. You can't, you can't be exposed at the surface because you put you in too much danger. Somebody's going to come along and eat you. So they definitely sleep, but probably not, uh, not in the way that, um, that you would think of animals as sleeping. And between the three, I, I still believe mosasaurs would be the most dangerous of the three. Because they had the size, they had the agility, and they definitely appear to be made for confrontations. Okay, uh, Scorpius Desrex. Hi, Dinosaur George. We would love to know if dinosaurs have little hairs on their scales. Thank you. That's a great question, Scorpius, uh, Scorpius Desrex. There's no way to know for sure unless they find the evidence of those little filaments um, in the fossil record. And to my knowledge... They have found those little hairy filaments on the body, but they've not been connected to scales. Scales, I believe, were more likely found on the feet and legs of the dinosaurs and not anywhere else on the body. And so it wouldn't do any good to have those little hairs there because you're constantly walking through mud and you're constantly picking up dirt. And if you have them, you'd have to be preening. You'd have to be cleaning them all the time. So if they're going to have them, they're going to probably start up above the knee once you get past the area that had scales. All right, Sammy Rex. Hi, Dinosaur George. Why do you think Protoceratops had no horns? How did T-Rex become the king of dinosaurs? And why do you think Mosasaur is the king of the ocean? Thank you. Well, you're welcome, Sammy Rex. Glad to have those questions. Protoceratops didn't have horns because it lived at a time in an environment where it didn't require them to survive. Now, that beak is very powerful, and it definitely was a weapon. But it wasn't having to concern itself, apparently, so the horns never needed to be there. Now, as the predators are getting bigger and as the ceratopsians are getting bigger, certainly horns began to display and be used as weapons. But protoceratops is around at the earliest part of the ceratopsian family, and so they just didn't require them to survive. What I mean by that, Sammy Rex, is if they... If they could easily be eaten, then they would never be able to continue. Um, their 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 species would be gone in a very short amount of time. There'd be none left. But we know Protoceratops was around for a long time, and it ultimately led to other Ceratopsians. So it definitely didn't need them. Now, how did T-Rex become the king of dinosaurs? When it was discovered, it was the largest carnivore that they had found. So at the time, the paleontologists named it Tyrannosaurus rex which in English means tyrant lizard king or tyrant reptile king. So it was given the name king of the dinosaurs when it was discovered. Now, certainly there are bigger ones known now, but you can't take T-Rex's name away. It's always going to be called the king of the dinosaurs because that's technically what its name means. So that's why, so it never really, it became the king of the dinosaurs when it was first described. Good question. Why do I think Mosasaurs are the king of the ocean? The reason why I think that is, is like I'd mentioned earlier, they're agile. They're probably very fast. They have very good weapons. They have large eyes. I think they encompass everything you need to be to be a top predator. Um, so that's what I, um, that's what I think. That's why I think they did. Okay. Uh, this is from Reagan and Theo. Why did, uh, who is this? Why did Dilophosaurus have those weird top teeth? You know, that what you're talking about, I think, Reagan and Theo, is you're talking about that hook, that crook at the end of their neck. I mean, at the end of their snout, like, like a crocodile almost, or like a spinosaurus, kind of a little 
hook-looking thing. Dimetrodon has it too. The idea is that is an effective tool for catching fish. So it may be possible that Dilophosaurus is looking at fish as one of its main prey. And it's got the, that weird little hook because it kind of points the teeth backwards towards the mouth, towards the jaw. So that means when you bite, the prey is not going to get away. And if you're eating slippery food that's in the water, you don't want it to get away. You got to hang on to it. So in my opinion, if that's what you're talking about, that's why I would say that. And then they also asked, were there any prehistoric koalas? This I don't know. Uh, uh, certainly koalas didn't just appear recently, I don't believe, but I just wouldn't know when they appeared. There's a lot of marsupials that were appearing during the Miocene, Eocene, Pliocene, and Pleistocene. So it's possible they date back that far back. Okay, this is from Chasculophosaurus. What a great name. Chasculophosaurus. Hi, Dinosaur George. I was wondering what is inside of an Oviraptor's crest. Is it like Parasaurolophus or is it just full of carotene? Also, I heard a dinosaur name. I don't know. And it's uh, Tunbactylus. I've never heard of this prehistoric animal. I would like to know about it. Thank you. Uh, Sacosaurus. That's funny. Okay. Chasculophosaurus. I am not familiar with who Tundactylus is. I, I don't know anything about him. I'm so sorry. I can't give you any information about that. But I'll try to look it up. Now, as for the Oviraptor crest, I don't think it was hollow. I don't believe it was. I think it was more solid. I could be wrong. Dr. Larry Whitmer does so much with cat scanning. I wonder if he's ever cat scanned an Oviraptor crest. And if he did, I wonder, I, I don't know what you've caught me on two questions I can't answer. Those are brilliant questions, though. Okay. Arnosaurus says, hello, Gigi. My question is, why do the Ceratopsians have frills? Also, I think you should do a podcast on the dodo bird. You're the best dinosaur, George. Thank you, Arnosaurus. That's very kind of you. Dodo bird would be a good one as well. So why do Ceratopsians have a frill? The way I look at things, Arnosaurus, is I look at the size and I try to consider how much energy it costs to make it. What I mean by that is when your body is growing and your body adds something, there is a cost to that. For instance, if we all had feet that were seven feet long, even though our body was the same height, <laughs> it would take a lot of food and energy to make the bones to make your feet that big. So when I look at the crest of a ceratopsian or I look at the the frill on the or the, the spine on the back of Spinosaurus, or I look at any of those things, I immediately know that they are used for more than one thing. So many people talk about it just being used for, for display. And I got to say something. That to me is absurd to think that that animal would carry around something as big as those frills and they're only used to display. Because if that's the case, why do the females have them? They are protection. I believe they are protection first. They are an anchor for the horns on them to be used as weapons. And then they would definitely use them for display as a way to show who they are and how old they are and whether they're mature or maybe, maybe whether they're male or female. But that's secondary to the main function, which in my opinion is defense. Because if all that that is for is display, then the animal never would have developed a bony frill. It would be made of flesh. It would be made of a thin layer of flesh, like the wing of a pterosaur. They wouldn't be carrying around that much weight just to show off. So that's my opinion of why they had them. All right, Uhtred, my little buddy. Hi, Dinosaur George. Uhtred has two questions. He noticed that Macrocania looks like a llama. Are there ancestors of llamas? Well, there were prehistoric llamas, Uhtred, Absolutely, there were prehistoric llamas, but Macrocania isn't really a llama relative. There were llamas living with Macrocania. Macrocania is very unusual. Yes, he has a llama-like body. I see where you see that. But he's also got that, that long, fleshy nose that almost as re resembles a taper's nose, or tapir, depending on how you pronounce it. But then it's also got weird feet. It's just a weird animal that I think is one of those nature goes a little crazy sometimes and ta-da, they make a weird thing. 
That's what I think Macro Caney is. I just think he was just an oddball. But I do appreciate that you recognize that he looks like he's related to llamas because he still has that same body shape. But there were prehistoric llamas living at that time, I'm almost sure. He remembers that you said the T-Rex was a slow runner than any other hunters, even though some of his books say they were fast. Why was T-Rex a slow runner? Okay, good question. Very good observation, Utrecht. Now, I don't believe it was slow. I believe, so if I ever said it was slow, I misspoke. I personally believe that it was capable of moving at a fast rate of speed, but not for very long. Because the energy it takes to move that body, would it would be like, think of your body as a car engine, and your tummy is the fuel tank, and you got to fill up your fuel tank, and you run as fast as you can, but the faster you go, the faster your tummy empties. At some part, some point you run out of food you don't feel like running anymore because you can't because your body can't keep up with it because it needs more fuel well when you think about tyrannosaurus rex when that big dude is running he's burning through a lot of fuel and therefore he doesn't run very much and again here i go saying he again i always say that it it doesn't run that often unless it has to i believe utred that it would stay concealed with trees to its back to help break up its silhouette. It would stand perfectly still and it would watch dinosaurs walk by. And when any dinosaur came within what it thought was its range, meaning it's like it has a little bullseye and if you step inside the ring, he knows he can catch you or it knows it can catch you. So it just waits and waits until something comes close and then it comes running out at top speed and probably knocks the animal down simply using his head like a battering ram. And then once he knocks you down, that's the end. Then you're not getting up. So I believe he was fast, but I don't think he's running 40 or 50 miles an hour fast. I think it's probably closer to 25 to maybe 35, but only for a short distance. Okay. Good question. Very, very good. Okay. Um, this is from Widosaurus Rex. Were there meat eating dinosaurs bigger than T-Rex? Yes, there was Widosaurus. There was Spinosaurus who was longer. Some people believe Giganotosaurus was a little bit longer. Some people believe Carcharodontosaurus was a little longer. Some people think Amaposaurus was a little longer. Reason why I say they think is because there's no way to know definitively who is the biggest because it doesn't mean we found the biggest. It means that we're basing all their size off of what has been found, but they maybe haven't found the biggest. But Tyrannosaurus Rex for all of them, Giganotosaurus, Maposaurus, they are becoming so big that at some point they cannot get much bigger, in my opinion, because of something called diminished return. You are so big, you have to eat so much, you simply can't catch enough food to survive. You have to be able to go days and days and days without eating in between when you catch food. And if you're much bigger than those guys, they're not going to last that long. So there were meat-eating dinosaurs that are thought to be bigger. Um, and maybe even Sorphaganax. Some some people, I believe Sorphaganax is much bigger than we think. Uh, and I think as more are found, maybe someday somebody will find one, I hope. So anyway, good question. Okay. Uh, Connorsaurus says, hi, DG. Why does Carnotaurus have little arms? What did he use the horns for? Great question. Okay. When an animal, re- remember I just said that that an animal has a cost for growing things on its body? There's a cost for doing that. And you have to pay when you're little. That's when you start growing all these things. Well, Carnotaurus, if it isn't using its arms to grab its food, which it isn't, then why have them? So its body slowly fades them away. It's like, look, we don't need them anymore. We catch our food with our mouth. And there's a lot of animals that can catch food with their mouth. Sharks, dogs, wolves, snakes. Lizards, they don't use their hands. They catch food easily with their mouth. So Carnotaurus is coming to the realization, man, these arms just, why do I, why do I, why do I want my body to make something I'm not going to use? So little by little, the arms were slowly becoming smaller. That's why it has little arms. doesn't use them. So your question, what does it use its horns for? Now, I usually don't think that horns on a carnivore are a weapon, but I do believe so with Carnotaurus. And here's why. They are so thick, so heavy, that I believe they couldn't have been used for anything other than 
knocking down prey. Sure, I think the males could use them to push and shove and fight, but I believe they're using their horns to knock animals down. I think like a battering ram, when they hit you with those horns, you're go you're gonna have the wind knocked out of me. You're gonna you're gonna be on the ground and he's gonna be on top of you or it's gonna be on top of you before you know it. So I don't feel that way about things like the crest on Crylophosaurus. It's too thin, it's shatter. I don't believe that would be the case with even uh Ceratosaurus because the blade on its nose isn't very heavy duty. And he could break that or it could break that. Uh, so, and even Allosaurus, I don't believe the horns on top of Allosaurus were, were probably its main function was to use them as a weapon. It certainly could. All things could have more than one feature, but I believe Carnotaurus is absolutely using those horns to knock down its prey. Okay. This is for Dinosaur Ranger, Anthony. Hey man, Anthony, so good to hear from you. Um, great. This is a brilliant question. If the humans went extinct, could the birds evolve back into the top predator? Yeah. Yeah, this is a great question. This is a great question. Um, boy, could they or would the bears step up and be the top predator? Bears have such an advance over birds, but the benefit of the birds is probably their speed. I, here's, what, here's what I think, Ranger Anthony. I think I think bears would be at the top. I think pigs would work their way back up to being towards the top. I believe the cats, then the dogs, then the birds. That would be my best guess. And I base that solely off of what we see around us today. Because the, all those animals I named prior to the birds all have uh, a head start against them. You know what I mean? So I think they're starting from a better point. But... Man, terror birds are still terrifying animals. Imagine an ostrich that decides it's time to start eating nothing but meat. That's horrifying. Okay, this comes from Ben in Portland, who's six years old. If a carnivore bit down on an ankylosaurus's back, would its armor break the carnivore's teeth? I think so, Ben, based on whether the ankylosaurus was an adult or a, or, or a, a young adult. Once they reach about teenager years i think they are too thick their shell is too thick for any carnivore i just i don't even think any carnivore is going to bite through that armor definitely not an adult so yeah i think they would which is why i don't think many animals messed around with ankylosaurs i don't think they did they certainly did when the ankylosaurs were smaller i think they absolutely preyed upon them when they're babies in fact they're probably in a lot of trouble when you're little hoping you grow fast enough and big enough to be something nobody's going to eat. But that's a good one, Ben. I like that very much. Okay. Uh, Quintinosaurus, age six from Richmond, Virginia, wants to know, did T-Rex and Giganosaurus live at the same time? And did they cross paths? Nope, these guys didn't, Quintinosaurus. Uh, Tyrannosaurus rex is around later. Giganotosaurus is around a little bit before. I think they're separated by a couple million years, I believe. And they're definitely separated by different continents, South America being Giganotosaurus, North America being T-Rex. But let's say, for instance, they do cross each other's paths. Well, like I had commented about Spinosaurus and Carcharodontosaurus, I believe they would keep their distance from each other unless there was a battle over territory or food. Big carnivores don't, you're not going to survive. If you rush in, snapping your teeth at everything you see, it's great for the movies, but that's not the way it is. I believe even big carnivores like Rex and Giganotto, I think those two are very cautious about who and what they attack. They don't just blindly rush in. Nature doesn't like foolishness, if that makes sense to all of you. If you're foolish, if you have no care, if you're not worried about anything, you're usually not going to survive. Think about the great white shark. When divers go in the cage, great white sharks keep their distance, wanting to make sure they can figure out what that thing is first. They don't just rush in and start chomping and trying to kill you. And they're big. And so that's an example of what I think these other big carnivores are doing. But if they did, it would be interesting to see how they handled it. Um, okay. 
Then this is from Jackson from Santa Barbara, who's age eight. Oh, you asked me a hard one. He said, how do you pronounce Quinzalsaurus? Because I think that's how it's pronounced. Quinzalsaurus. Oh, its name is spelled Q-I-A-N-Z-H-O-U-S-A-U-R-U-S. Quinzalsaurus. Oh, I don't know, Jackson. Great question, buddy. I don't know the answer. I'm going to have to look that up because that's going to drive me. Sl- I won't be able to sleep tonight. Okay. Hi, Dinosaur George. Annalisa Sauruses and her parents would like to know if there were any prehistoric snakes that rattle like today's rattlesnakes. And if not, were there any venomous snakes? Thank you and have a great day. It's a very, very interesting question. Here's the biggest problem, Annalisa Saurus. The biggest problem, and family, the biggest problem with snakes is that they're not easily preserved and fossilized their bones are so thin and they just any carnivore that comes along just eats them all they don't just take bites at them they eat the whole thing but i certainly believe that there were venomous snakes i don't know how far back venomous snakes go that we know of i want to say that i read one time that they were in the oligocene that there were some venomous snakes during the oligocene period I don't know if that's true or not, but they that dates back 20, 23 million years. And so it would be possible that they did. But the problem with the rattlesnake, with the rattlers, they won't fossilize. They deteriorate very rapidly because they're really nothing more than dead skin. And so they would they would deteriorate very quickly upon the snake's death. So... I don't know if there's other things you could find on the tail that would suggest they could wiggle it fast. I don't know, but that's a very interesting question. And, and unfortunately I don't have the answers for you. That's, that's very cool though. Okay. Uh, this is from Raiden ops. Who's age four would like to know if Velociraptor was the fastest dinosaur. Thank you. And we send you our best wishes from Romania. Well, thank you very much for being listeners in Romania and for being club members. I certainly appreciate you very much. And Romania has some amazing dinosaurs found there. So good for you for living in such a wonderful country. Velociraptor is fast, but it's probably not the fastest dinosaur. That probably goes to Ornithomimus or Struthiomimus or Dromesiomimus, those guys. I believe they, their body design suggests they were probably the fastest. But among raptors, Velociraptor was probably the, if not the, fastest member of that group maybe dromaeosaurus was a little faster but velociraptor is still fast he's a quick little dude a terrifying little dinosaur all right hi dinosaur george liamasaurus age seven wait liamasaurus rex age seven would like to know if nanotyrannus had a little toe that stuck out from the backside of its foot like t-rex or today's chicken thank you yeah they do they do have that backwards pointing claw that that um um oh my gosh my mind just went blank what you call it phalonics i think that's the scientific term for it yeah that's the toe what that's from is its earliest ancestors probably walked on five toes and then as the dinosaur changed and evolved to meet its its environments better two of the toes became considerably shortened one of them rotated towards the back of the foot and nanotyrannus has that same feature All right. Uh, Hi, Dinosaur George. Matthias, age five, says, is a big fan of the podcast and has a question. We have two dinosaur encyclopedias, and one says that Argentinosaurus was the largest dinosaur. However, the other one says that Argentinosaurus used to be considered the largest dinosaur, but has now been surpassed by Ryungosaurus and Patagotitan. Which do you think is right? Well, problem with all of these is complete skeletons have never been found. Therefore, scientists have to estimate missing pieces. I now believe that Patagotitan is now recognized as the biggest. I do believe Patagotitan is now recognized as the largest when it comes to height, length, and weight, the combination of the three. But again, a new discovery, and and one of the reasons why your encyclopedia says what it says is at the time of its discovery, Argentinosaurus seemed to be the biggest then. Most paleontologists agreed that was the biggest. But later, after that book was printed, 
new discoveries were found and that may be out of date. This for all of you listening, I want you to I want you to pay very close attention to this. This is why if you have dinosaur books, you should always try to get new books and and add. Don't we all have a favorite book, but the problem is that if that's the only book that you get your information from, it's only as up to date as the day the book was printed. After that, if there's some new change, the book won't have it in there. So I love that you have books. I want you to have books. I have a whole library, but I want you like when you have a birthday or you have a a Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever you might be celebrating or just save up your money, but try to buy newer books and look at the date of the book. Look at the date of the book. If you see a book that you like and it says it's from 1980, it's okay to buy that book, but remember, a lot of things have changed since then. So um, that's the reason why you're getting that confused information. So thank you, Matthias. Uh, thank you so much for uh, sending me that question. I like it. Okay. Uh, oh, and also, and this is funny, Matthias's dad <laughs> wants to know about how plesiosaurs and mosasaurs drank. Did they drink salt water and how did it not make them sick or did they drink something else? Man, what a great question. They they certainly drank the water that they swam in. All sea creatures do. Fish drink the water. Uh, they all do. And so they have a system that removes the salt out of the water. It's sort of like... Uh, you know those survivalists that carry those straws that they can put in real nasty water and when they suck the water through the straw, the straw filters everything out? I still wouldn't do it, but it sounds cool. <laughs> That's kind of sort of what I think their body was doing, Dad. <laughs> and even though you tried to disguise it like Matthias asked, he wrote, not Matthias's dad or anything. <laughs> All right, Dad. Matthias, go up and tell your dad he's been busted. I know. I saw what's happening there. But anyway, Dad, yeah, I, I believe that they had the ability to filter. Uh, if you ever watch um, um, marine iguanas, go watch a video about marine iguana, and you see them blowing what looks like they're blowing their nose out on the rocks. They're blowing the salt out of their body because they drink that water as well, or they ingest it when they're eating underwater. So they have a system that takes that salt, and they blow it out of their nose. They look like they're blowing something out their nose that's salt so that may be what these other animals did maybe come up to the surface and blast out the salt through their nostrils it would look like a whale but it would be salt coming out instead of just simply water okay this is from t-rex forest hi dinosaur george i mean el stinko this is t-rex what did you just call me what did you just what did you just call me you no one knows the identity of El Stinko. Stronger than Superman. Smarter than Batman. More agile than Spider-Man. And doesn't fly an invisible jet like Wonder Woman. No one knows the identity of El Stinko. But I know it's not me. Would I be using this El Stinko voice? If it, I mean, excuse me. Okay. So... T-Rex Forest says, is T-Rex the biggest tyrannosaur? Yes, it is. Good question. Tyrannosaurs are a family, and of the family, Tyrannosaurus rex remains the biggest. So, yes, Tyrannosaurus rex is the biggest member of the Tyrannosaur group. What a great question. What a great question. Okay, uh, this is from uh, Brendan Frey. Uh... What was winter like for Australovenator? You know what? I don't know. I don't know what its environment was like. I want to say that it was probably it was probably a very cold time, at least colder. In fact, maybe Australovenator uh, migrated. I think some dinosaurs would have migrated during the winter like animals do today. That's a great question. Okay. Hi Dinah, uh, hi DG from Cairo. 
you said T-Rex's hands got shorter over time, but would he but he would like to know why? Well, very good question, Cairo. It's sort of like the answer I gave about uh Carnotaurus's hands. They were getting smaller because they weren't as functional. There is an animal called a salamander. A lot of you know what that animal is. It looks like a lizard, but they live in the water. Well, there is a salamander that lives deep underground in caves, at least here in Texas, and it's called the blind salamander. Even though when you see it, it looks like it still has things where the eyes used to be. There are no eyes there anymore because it lives in total darkness. It doesn't need them because it can't use them. So over time, generation after generation, it lost its need for eyes. And little by little, its eyes went away. So the same thing is hap- was happening with Tyrannosaurus Rex's hands. All right. Let's see. Four and a half year old Emery Soros in Marin County, California, says he loves Dinosaur George and looks forward to every show. That's very kind of you, buddy. He is particularly obsessed with dino jokes and anything T-Rex. Well, listen, my little buddy. <laughs> All right, I'm going to give you my, my world-famous joke. How come they don't let Tyrannosaurus drive a car? It's because Tyrannosaurus wrecks. Oh, that's awful. That's an awful joke. <laughs> All right, this is from IDG Lorenzo Soros here. Today we know that there are colossal squids and giant cephalopods living in, in our oceans. Is it possible that at one point there were even larger cephalopods in the ocean? And how big do you think they were? Thank you for your amazing show. Thank you very much, Lorenzo Soros. Thank you for being a Patreon member. Thank all of you that have written Patreon Club. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there was uh, big cephalopods. In fact. Uh, I think that uh, Archituthis is the name of a giant squid. I think that thing may have exceeded 110 feet in length. I think maybe even longer with the tentacles, maybe 160 feet, I read, or something. And then there were some big cephalopods. There was animals also like the like the um, sea scorpion, uh, some of the different species that lived in the early Devonian. There were some giants. And who knows how big some of the other ones still could be down there. That's a great question. All right. Uh, this is from Elio, Elio Tyrannus. When did birds start putting nests in trees? I.e., is there any evidence of dinosaurs doing that? For instance, Archaeopteryx. Brilliant question. There is no evidence that I'm aware of yet. Because the only way that a nest would have been fossilized or preserved would have been if a big glob of amber, tree sap, covered it. Let's say a a limb would break on a tree and the sap would ooze out and slowly cover it. Then it could encase it. And then we would know. But the other problem is, see, if it blows out of the tree or gets knocked out during a flood, even if for some reason that uh, nest would fossilize, you would never know where it came from. But that's a very good question. Now, here's what I think, Elio Tyrannus. I believe that they did. Because nesting on the ground puts you in very vulnerable position and everything can come along and eat you and your eggs. So I think they probably absolutely did. I think Archaeopteryx did. I think a bunch of them did. Maybe even Microraptor. All of those guys, I think, are building a nest up in trees. Okay. Hey, Uncle G, it's Susie Source. I have a question for you. How's my favorite niece doing? I have a question, please. If carnivores lay oval eggs and herbivores lay round eggs, what shape do omnivores lay? Square eggs. Okay, I only said that so that your mom and dad would have something to giggle about. <laughs> but they they also lay, lay elongated oval-shaped eggs, uh, just like the carnivores. Their eggs are, are shaped like that. And uh, then she finishes by, I hope everyone is having a good day and enjoying the podcast. You know, Susie Source, one of the reasons why I care so much about you is you always are so kind to everyone else. You're just like your mom. I read your mom's Facebook page and she's constantly, constantly sh- sh- shining light on everybody around her. And that's what you do, Susie Source. And that's why I'm proud to be your uncle. All right. This is from Judah, Judah and Hank. 
Judah would like to know if there were any dinosaurs with no tails. Yeah, Judah, there were a couple that had really short, short little tails. Uh, let me think of one. Is it Alvarezsaurus is one? I think. Uh, who else? Boy, there's a bunch of them that have short, short little tails. Like they didn't even have them at all. But I can't remember any of them off the top of my head, Judah. But that's a good question. I wish I could answer it for you. And then Hank said he was observing geese flying in a V pattern and wondered if any pterosaurs might have behaved the same way. What a great observation, Hanky. What a great observation, Hank. That's great. I love looking at modern living animals and understanding that their behavior is very similar to their ancestors. So the answer to why they fly in a V pattern is because traveling, that is easier for the whole group. And I absolutely believe pterosaurs would have been able to take advantage of that same thing. Very, very good. Very, very good. All right. Uh, This is from Noah Bertasaurus. What a great name. Uh, Do you think a giant armadillo could stand the bite of a T-Rex? Unfortunately, no. They couldn't. The, the bite force of a T-Rex would simply be much, much too powerful. And so I don't believe that they would be able to do that. All right, let's do this. Who would win? What if two different prehistoric creatures fought? Who would win? T-Rex versus a giant wolf? Raptor versus terror bird? Spinosaurus versus Triceratops. You choose the animals, and Dinosaur George will size them up and pick a winner. Now, get ready. It's time to find out who would win. All right. To be able to submit a who would win, you, of course, have to be a T-Rex member of the Patreon Club. So let's get into it. Uh, Navion says, who would win? Amargosaurus versus Allosaurus. Very good. Very good. Now, Allosaurus uh, would be able to take it as far as size. But Amargosaurus with those big spikes on its neck, I think Allosaurus would be cautious because to attack a sauropod, you almost have to attack the throat. You have to go for the neck. Because the rest of its body is too thick and too heavy. It would be like running up and trying to bite an elephant. Where do you start? And so Allosaurus would have to go for the neck. And I believe Amargosaurus would be able to bend its head down and angle those things at those spikes on its neck at Allosaurus. I think Allosaurus would have to, it'd have to stay away from the tail of Amargosaurus because that could be a whip-like weapon. This is a good question. This is a good one. And you all know I love Allosaurus. That's my favorite dinosaur. But I'm going to have to say that in this particular case, I think Allosaurus is going to walk away from this fight. I don't think Amargosaurus is going to win technically. I don't think Allosaurus is going to attack. If it does, one of those big spikes or those big neck spikes, one of those going into the mouth or the eye or the skull of Allosaurus, that would be game over. So if Allosaurus attacks, if it's not the whip-like tail that's going to crack him, it's going to be one of those big spines. And I think Amargosaurus would win that. That's very good. That's a good one. Okay. This is from Kai. Spinosaurus and T-Rex versus two Indominus Rex. Well, Indominus is a big dude. And I don't think Spinosaurus and Rex are going to team up necessarily. So each may take on another Indominus. So on one-on-one fight, based on the movie, Indominus is probably going to win the battle. Now, let's say for fun that Spino and T-Rex join up. Well, would two Indominuses join up? Are they going to be willing to fight together? Or are they going to see each other as an enemy? So many variables in this one. This is a very good one because it really makes you stop and think. So let's say for fun, the Indominuses, Indominuses team up and T-Rex and Spino team up and they go at it. I think Indominus wins. But if the two Indominuses Indominuses don't fight together, I think they would turn on each other just as quickly. What a melee that would be. Wow. Wow. Okay, here's one from Sammy Rex. Allosaurus versus Therizinosaurus. Wow. 
Another good one. Another good one. Allosaurus, um, I love him, but I don't think he's going to get in close with Therizinosaurus. Maybe if he's really stealthy and can come up from behind it, he'll be able to attack. But Therizinosaurus, those claws, in my opinion, are absolute weapons. I simply do not buy into this notion that those claws are for pulling limbs down. Why would they be shaped that way? And more importantly, as I say this again, it can't raise its heads taller than its neck can reach. So what is it pulling down? Is it grabbing a limb at the bottom of the tree and trying to pull the entire tree down? If you ever go to a tree, get a low-hanging limb and pull it. The other ones don't always bend down. That you know They all lean at the same way unless it's a tiny tree. On a big tree, you can pull the bottom limb until it snaps. The one above it doesn't move. So Therizinosaurus's claws are weapons. That's my opinion, and I'm sticking with it. Who's with me? Yeah, give me a shout out, baby. Yeah, hold up three claws and go roar. Yeah, roar. <laughs> I believe Therizinosaurus would win, Sammy Rex. That's a good one. That's a good one. Okay, Jackson says um, Spinosaurus versus T-Rex. That, of course, is the famous Jurassic Park 3 fight. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, I would say that if it was real, Spinosaurus wouldn't stand a chance against a Tyrannosaurus Rex. I, th- I believe the bite force of a Rex is too powerful. Yes, it's got incredible weapons, but in my opinion, I think it would, it would win. Let me tell you why I believe that the Spino won in Jurassic Park 3. Let me tell you why. It was to sell more toys. See, every kid in the world had the Jurassic Park T-Rex. And I think they thought that if they could make a new, more deadly animal show up, everybody would want a new Spinosaurus toy. Because if T-Rex won again, well, I already have the T-Rex toy. I'm not going to buy another one. That's my opinion. Doesn't mean it's real or not, but that's my opinion. Okay, um, let's see. Let me keep going here. Let me just buzz through some of these. Okay. Uh, let's see. I'm just, I'm going to try to go towards the top of this thing. I'm just randomly picking these. Um, okay. This is from Nico Raptor. Hi, Dinosaur George. I'd like to know who would win between a short-faced bear and T-Rex. I remember you said the short-faced bear was a brute. Yeah, it is a brute, man. That thing is a brute. But. He would be lunch for a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Man, that's a good one, though. My little buddy Heathoraptor, Deinonychus versus Therizinosaurus. Whoa. Now, this is different. I just did Therizinosaurus versus Allosaurus. This is different. I believe Deinonychus could move quickly enough to stay away from those weapons, and they could come keep attacking from behind. I think they could wear out a Therizinosaurus. It would take a long time, and there better be a bunch of them. Oh, wait, you said Dinochirus. I'm thinking Deinonychus. Whoa! Dinochirus! Oh, baby! Oh, that changes everything. This is the Slash Fest of the Decade. Ladies and gentlemen, prepare yourself for Slash Fest. Dinochirus versus Therizinosaurus. Dinochirus's arms are more powerful. Therizinosaurus's claws are longer. I'm going to give it to Therizinosaurus simply because, simply because the length of those claws could inflict an injury before Dinochirus can get up close. All right, uh, let's see. Hi, Dinosaur George. I'm a new member and I'm from Singapore and I have a who would win for you. Every di- this is from uh well Lyra and Ralph. Uh every dinosaur in the world wearing gas masks and oxygen masks versus dinosaur George with stink bombs. Also URL Stinko. Well let me tell No one knows the identity of El Stinko. Stronger than Superman, smarter than Batman, more agile than Spider-Man, and not as green. As the Hulk. El Stinko is the greatest crime fighter that's ever lived. No one knows the identity 
So if you're going to be making me fight with with and giving all the other dinosaurs oxygen masks, what kind of a person does that? Why am I constantly being attacked by these animals that feel the need to eat me nonstop? All right. I don't know what to say. Other than I've missed you all very much. I'm going to try to do as many of these as I can. I've still got a heavy schedule, but it's going to get a lot better. And so I promise when I am home, I am going to try to record one. For everybody out there, I hope you enjoyed hearing from me again. I miss you all. I'm so thrilled to say that we're at 305,000 listens to this podcast. 140 countries and 8,916 cities. And that's because of you and your kindness. If you know somebody that likes prehistoric life, please let them know about the podcast. If you're interested, I hope you will all join the Patreon Club. There's a lot of fun things we do, but you don't have to. I'm going to keep making this podcast free for everybody. So I hope you enjoyed it. Be kind to each other. Be kind to people around you. And if you have a little friend who doesn't have a lot of friends, or if you know somebody that doesn't have a lot of friends, at least tell them hello every day. Just walk by and tell them hi. Even if you don't become better friends, even if they don't say hi back, sometimes kids are shy. Sometimes they're dealing with problems that you don't understand. Sometimes just saying hello can make their day so much brighter. Be kind to everybody. For all of you out there, thank you. Parents, thank you for letting me spend time with you, your children, and your family. I'm honored to do it, and I appreciate you so much. See you guys. to Dinosaur George Kids. Join the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group, become a member of our Patreon club and check out our website store for cool fossils, rocks and crystals. Visit dinosaurgeorge.com for details. Until next time, keep digging for knowledge. Yeah. Yeah.